I think it's it's only fair that we mentioned right at the very very start that this week on Unfinished Business we're talking exclusively about Doctor Who. Exactly. Yeah, because some people don't like it, and uh, I've seen some Twitters of people that are saying getting a bit a bit, bit cheesed off with the the coverage. Well, I get emails also. I, first of all, I get emails going. Can do you not get to the bit? I do. I do every now and again. And um, <laughs> but. No, I get emails, man. Can you not get like the, skip the banter and get into the business stuff? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I get that. Goes, oh, Just cut to the chase, man. Twenty-five, twenty-five minutes of twenty-five minutes of talking about soap and <laughs> and, and food on a board. Um, so yeah, and there's other people that wanted to say. Um, you know, can you not just at least say who's on the show at the beginning? Because <laughs> yeah. you know, we never read the show notes <laughs> and reveal it halfway through, and then reveal it halfway, which I thought was which I thought was quite funny. But yeah, these people guessing. You know, it's like the mis- mystery guest. I just thought, well, you know, read the notes, but apparently people don't. So anyway, yes, there's not going to be a single piece of business advice anywhere on the show. Nope, not there's much anyway. Not good advice anyway. And most importantly, in particular. We're going to be talking about the 50th anniversary episode. So if you haven't watched that yet, mm. spoilers. I know. If you haven't watched it, stay off the internet, for goodness sake. So <laughs> who else would there be to talk about Doctor Who on a Sunday morning but John Hicks? Hello. How you doing? I'm actually doing all right. Did you play the Google Doodle on Friday? Oh, yes. Do you know what? I, I tried really hard. I'm not a big video gamer. And I tried, but I bet at the end of this, there's some kind of special Easter egg. And I, I just thought, I just gave up at the end. <laughs> I just, you know, it was a little bit too, I hate to say it, a bit hard for me. Or at least I was in the middle of doing work and I was, I kind of felt I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't commit to it. I'm really thick because I didn't realise it was a game. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> well, my friend Danny just sent me a tweet going, oh, I think Clarky's going to like the google doodle today and i looked at it and for the first couple of hours or something i couldn't see it anyway i just got the regular google logo mm. anyway then it came up and i went oh that's nice and then just got back to work because we were working on the, the the stuff redesign so i didn't have much time yeah and then it was only later that i read something on well, i was on the verge i think i was talking about this game and i was like <laughs> of course is, can you still get to them can you get to the old ones yeah there's um there's an archive of all the google doodles isn't there um, I've forgotten the address for it, but yeah, you can just do a search for Google Doodle Archive and it'll come up. You can go back and see them all because a lot of them have little games or something that, you know, some little, little bit of whimsy to keep you occupied. But I just feel really thick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it was really good. I know, I, yeah, it was a really, I was quite impressed that Google did that as a, a Doodle because it's usually sort of big important things, you know, discovery of penicillin or something, but. Yeah. The little TV show from the from the UK. So I was quite impressed that that got made to a Google Doodle. I've been watching everything that I could possibly watch this weekend. Yeah, including. Did you see the um, the Doctor Who movie with Peter Cushing? Uh, do you know what I I've recorded it. I haven't watched them again yet. I saw them years ago because it's got Bernard Cribbins in the first one, isn't there? Mm, yeah. yeah, and it's you know. They they kind of are what they are, aren't they? They're, they're very much of their of their time of the sixties. Yeah, they are. They're sixties um, kind of caper movies. But it does kind of show kind of what Doctor Who might have been under different kind of management. I think the second one had Roy Castle in it. I think. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> Tap dancing, tap dancing, Roy. <laughs> it was like a Royal Variety performance, wasn't it? <laughs> Which is actually when it came later, but yeah. 
it was yeah, it was interesting because obviously you've got Daleks. We'll talk about Daleks a bit, but it was it was this kind of weird sixties psychedelic um stuff really, and it was. <laughs> it, I, I was just thinking if somebody was to sort of turn on somebody that was you know not really that into Doctor Who would just sort of sit there with a cup of tea mm-hmm. on a Saturday morning and go, oh, Doctor Who movie, and then turn that on. they think, what the hell are people talking about for 50 years? Yeah. Th- that's, yeah, that that would be quite hard. I think. And did you see the, the Paul McGann movie as well? Have he caught up with that? Uh, what, the, 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 what, the... The one from the 90s. Yes. Yeah, well, I haven't seen it recently, but I saw it when it was on the, the made-for-TV movie with the... Yeah, and again, if you, you you hadn't seen Doctor Who and you saw that, you know. Could there be? <laughs> could there be a good Doctor Who movie? I think there could. Yeah, in the right hands. I think it could be really good. I mean, you take, take, for example, you know, how J.J. Uh, J. Abrams has treated Star Trek. I mean, you could, from a purist point of view, you could complain about you know, the overuse of lens flare and, um, you know, there's not enough moralizing and that kind of thing, but. You know, I think they are, they stand up as good movies. You know, they're not cheesy. Like these ones were. Hmm. But yeah, I, I think it'd have to be the right people, the right writer, uh, the right director. You know, for example, if you had the Harry Potter team, you know, behind it. So you've got the right, you've got the right cast as well. Cause I think that's one of the things that always grated a bit with the Paul McGann movie is, I suppose maybe Julia Roberts' brother, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it's not a bit, it, it just didn't have the right feel about it. I think. That's interesting, actually, the Harry Potter team thing, because it would be very easy to make a big budget Doctor Who action movie. Yeah. That would have all the right ingredients, but it wouldn't be Doctor Who. Mm, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's been the rumor that David Heyman, who's been the uh, director for the last few Harry Potters, there's rumour that he, you know, he actually came out and said that he is doing it. And then everyone since has been saying, no, he's not. <laughs> Don't know where that came from. Um, so I think there's maybe, there's, there's, there's talks, I think. I think behind the scenes, there's, there's murmurings and people talking to people. Because there's definitely, I think there definitely would have been appetite for it. Yeah, and not well, just here. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I wouldn't have thought there would be until last night. You know, because I was at the cinema, and at the end of the cinema, everyone cheered. You know, everyone clapped. It was great. And I would never have expected that. Not from a, you know, not from the UK. So, um, yeah, maybe there is a demand for it. I mean, it's never been as popular as it is now in America, I don't think. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's the whole reboot thing has, has really helped it. I mean, there's places like Australia that they, they, they're quite keen on kind of UK telly. Like, for example, the goodies, um, they've got quite a following over there. Um, but I think it's sort of taken, maybe taken the reboot for America to really warm to it, I think. I used to love the goodies. So did I. That's why I mentioned it. I just, you know, <laughs> it's in that same kind of nostalgia category of, you know, uh, tea time. Tully watching. Do you remember the one where they got bricked up in their <laughs> yes, house? Yes. <laughs> and that's all I can remember about the episode. I can remember nothing else except that they got bricked up in their I mean, house. you remember the one with the big cat knocks over the, the post office tower, yeah. Yeah, the post office tower, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But it is. We, 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 so you went to the cinema 
Yes. To see the 50th anniversary. Yeah, well, our little, our little local cinema was showing it, and I was really, really surprised. But I said, I thought, yeah, we booked some tickets for that. And we got to see it in 3D, but maybe we should talk about that later. Mm, well, we went to um, we went to see Captain Phillips at our local Scala. That's our mm, little that's local cinema. It, no, it's an excellent movie. And obviously, there were there were probably the first time I knew that they were going to be showing the 50th anniversary episode in cinemas. Mm. Um, so, and this is a lovely, lovely little cinema. I mean, I will, it's an independent one. It's not like one of these big chains. Yes, yeah. So I like to support it. It costs a little bit more than going to the local view or cine world. And, you know, it's, that's, you know, normally you feel a bit ripped off at the cinema and you'll try and sneak in your bag of Maltesers. Yes. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I would sweat. <laughs> I would sweat. Well, it's easy to do, so let's do it. Well, <laughs> a few years ago when Alex was still at home and, um, we were going to see something. I can't remember what it was Lord of the Rings or something. And it was at the big cine world cinema in Clandidno. And it's really expensive, isn't it, to take in your concession, to, to, to buy your, your concessions Ooh, yeah. in there. Oh, yeah. So we, concessions. That's what they call it, concession stand. So I know, I know. We went over the road to the Tesco and bought, like, you know, a big bag of Doritos and a couple of big bags of Maltesers for probably, what, half the price. Yeah. And then I snuck them in. I had my big Parker on with these big internal pockets. But, of course, you stick a big bag of Doritos <laughs> and a couple of bottles of water and... <laughs> and and a few bags of Maltesers in your coat, and we're walking. To, I'm rustling. I was I'm walking towards the guy who took the ticket with this big Parker done up, yeah. and uh, and he looks at me. This guy, and he went, uh, "It's our policy for you not to bring in your own food." And I just looked at him with a straight face and went, "This is all me." <laughs> and he went, "Okay." That crackling you hear, that's my eczema. <laughs> so we walked in, we sat down, and I swear to God that there was a light that stayed on us all the time. Above. <laughs> all the lights went out, this is one. <laughs> right, we're watching you. You try, you try eat your own concessions. <laughs> we're watching you. <laughs> Don't crunch those Doritos so loud. <laughs> I had to like dissolve them slowly in your mouth, did you? <laughs> so anyway, so we we go to the Scala and it's there, yeah. but um, I I didn't want to see it in 3D because I don't like 3D. Well, ah, yeah, interesting you say that because I don't like 3D, especially because I'm a glasses wearer and you have to mm. sort of prop these things on in front of your glasses. It does several things. It, it tends to like make everything dark, you know, like a bit like watching everything through sunglasses. It's, uh, the effect seems to last for a few minutes and then you're not aware of it. Um, and when you are aware of it, it's, it's very flat. You know, you kind of have like, imagine you sort of like, like in a theatre, the stage, you have know, sort of these flat areas of, you know, there's, there's depth, but the things that have depth are in themselves flat. You know, it doesn't have that natural 3D-ness. And, you know, if it's shot properly with good director and good lighting and everything, then it, it should look 3D. Uh, but actually, I have to say, it was one of the first times last night that they've really did well with the 3D. And I wasn't, you know, aware of the darkness, but I was aware of the, the depth and the, uh, the, the, the form around things. No, it worked really well. Mm. Now, I stayed home and we watched it on our telly. And we ate, we ate fish fingers and chips. Yeah. Like I was nine. <laughs> you know, some people would sort of say, you know, oh, it should have been fish fingers and custard. No, but, but that's I, a new thing. Yeah, I don't think they got the whole kind of, yeah, exactly. That's a new thing. They didn't get that whole kind of relationship to Sasty Tito. 
Well, that was it. That was yeah. that was me being nine again. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just sitting there watching. I, I was I was so excited. That's anyway, nice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, so before we get into talking about the fiftieth anniversary episode, which yes. we will do, yeah, at course. great length later on. Of course. Uh, I'd like to talk about a couple of other Who related shows that were on this week. Um, there was the the Night of the Doctor mini episode. Mm. We'll get to that. And what did you? What do you think of the the adventure in space and time? That origin story kind of biopic about Verity Lambert and William Hartnell. Oh, I thought that's fantastic. I mean, I really, I, in some ways, actually, when I was looking at all the kind of you know um, photos and things before and it, it, rumors about things, you know, I was kind of more excited about that than actually the fiftieth um, episode. Because I thought that would be more up my street. I think it would be more, it would grab me more. And it did. Well, it, at least until I saw the 50th last night. But, uh, you know, it was just so moving, so well cast. And it didn't actually move me to tears at the end. I was, uh, I'm not ashamed to say it. The casting was absolutely superb. Yeah. There was a little sort of montage of photos at the end. I know, yes. And you couldn't have picked somebody that looked more like Verity Lambert. They were all looky likeies. Yeah. It was. It was absolutely brilliant. And I thought that the whole kind of, um, you know, the origin part of it, um, and Sydney, oh God, what's his surname? Sydney Newman. Sydney Newman. His kind of original concept about the time travel thing, but with the historical parts of it and it being real history rather than, um, and sci-fi rather than kind of, you know, bug-eyed monsters. Yes. No, no robots, yeah. No, no robots. And, oh, I'll come on to Daleks in a minute, but. Yeah. That, that was, that original kind of concept, you can really still see that. Mm. And especially when you see some, I saw some interviews with Sidney Newman, and I think Brian Cox really captured him so well. You know, he, he's exactly like that. Um, exactly the way he spoke. And David Bradley, when they announced that he was going to be William Hartnell, and, just like, oh, it's fantastic. And then you saw these photos of, you know, him in costume with a wig and everything, and it's it's uncanny, I think. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, not sort of spoiling anything for the spoilers of the 50th, but they could have done something where they had lookalikes in that for, obviously, the doctors, the actors uh, that have died. Interesting. Well, I think they did a bit of it. It's a bit difficult for that. I mean, maybe we should come back again a bit later, but. I think they couldn't do it. I think they couldn't. They could have used David Bradley again. I think that would have worked. But um, they couldn't use Tom Baker and, and Colin Baker because they just look so much less like they were at the time. Pete Davidson, they could have put a wig or something. They could have maybe done something there. Um, but yeah, it just, and Sylvester McCoy as well. You know, yeah. they, they they do all look. They are a lot older, so it's very hard to to get them to to feel right. Um, so I, I don't know. I I think they could have played it right, to be honest. I, I prefer that direction. But I, what they did with the adventure in space and time, which actually was cut, was that they they filmed the regeneration from Hartnell to Troughton. So they got is it Reese Shearsmith, the guy from League of Gentlemen, played Patrick Troughton, who was brilliant, mm. but also Mark Gatiss, who wrote it, who's another League of Gentlemen. Uh, he played John Pertwee. Um, that oh. none, none of those scenes actually made it, but there's some. Photos on uh, online of you know the three of them together doing the kind of the publicity shot that they did for Three Doctors, um, and it, it's not bad actually. 
I mean, I, I don't know if he chose himself because he felt he did look like him or just, you know, they were running out of time and they had to, someone had to put the wig on. But uh, it was uh, it was really good. You know, I think it was a shame they cut that as well because it would have just had that little extra con- continuity. I, think. I remember there was one particular part of Adventure in Space and Time where there was the big build-up to actually showing the Daleks for the first time. Mm. And there was that argument with you know, Verity and Sidney Newman about the whole because he didn't want the whole kind of you know robots thing going on yeah, yeah um and then they had the script from terry nation that first first dalek script i didn't realize until i saw it in there that terry nation actually wrote for tony hancock mm. no he i didn't either yeah he wasn't a sci-fi writer he was mm. a comedy writer exactly um so then there was the build-up and then there was the the final kind of reveal of of the of the daleks and I'm sitting up in bed watching this show on my laptop um, on iPlayer because I didn't see it when it went on the TV. I'm sitting up in bed and literally the minute that the Daleks appeared on screen, I had literally the hairs on the back of my arms stood up. Mm. I had this shiver. And you know, I've, you've seen Daleks. I've seen Daleks all my life. Yeah. Um, and you know, not everybody's saying, I haven't been kind of like scared of Daleks or kind of had any reaction to Daleks for years. Mm. But all of a sudden you see them in that context and you go, ooh, and literally I had this reaction to the bloody Daleks. <laughs> I'm thinking, what would that have been like in 1963? Yeah. Well, this is it. I think it almost had more effect when you see that, there's that famous shot, um, where all you see is the Dalek point of view and you see the sucker. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, that is quite chilling, especially in that kind of lo-fi, you know, black and white video. I think it just sort of adds to it, really. But, uh, yeah. I, did you, be honest, did you cry at the end? Uh, no, no I didn't cry no, at the end, but I, I did, I did feel sorry for, for William Hartnell. Um, and of course there was that line that they snuck in there, the I don't want to go line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly and- he didn't, but you know, it's, it has different meanings and different doctors, but yeah, it's just all, uh, it's very moving. Just when, just when he, he looked up and he saw his face and then he realized he was looking at Matt Smith. And in some ways, if you, if, if I saw that scene described on paper, I would have thought it'd be really cheesy. I'd think, well, what the hell, what's Matt Smith doing there? <laughs> it just, it just completely ruins the whole, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? The, the image, the illusion of it, you know, of it being this, this time back in the sixties. But actually seeing it on, on screen, I think they did it so well that it kind of felt like, oh yeah, because he had a glimpse of the legend, you know, the glimpse of the, um, the inheritance that he was giving, you know. I don't, I don't, I didn't particularly care for that bit. And no? it certainly didn't, no, and it didn't make me, didn't make me emotional. No. Um, it was more the fact that he was giving up something that had made him happy because, you know, obviously they set the scene at the beginning where he'd been, you know, a frustrated character actor, yeah, typecast in all of those kind of sergeant ma- major army movies. Mm. Um, and the fact that Doctor Who had given him this, well, this new, regenerated him, you know, yeah, new lease of life. Lease of life, yeah. And even though he wasn't that sure about it at the start, it really, yeah, it really took, it really took him over. And, you know, they took it away from him, obviously for, you know, for, for good reason. Yeah. Um, and I felt sad about that rather than, you know, emotional about seeing mm. Matt Smith. Yeah. 
Because he didn't do anything much after that. And obviously his health deteriorated quite rapidly, I think. Yes. Yeah. And they just managed to get him into the three doctors. Which yeah. I can remember watching. Really? Mm. Uh, see, that's before I started watching, see? That's before my time. No, I mean, it was in the early 70s. Mm. So I was, and it was in John Pertwee's time. So it was already, yeah, that was my doctor period. Yeah, I was only one when that came out, so. What year was it? It was 73. Yeah, 73. It was the 10th anniversary, so. Yeah, so I'd be eight at that point. Yeah. Um, and I can just about, yeah, just about remember it. And of course they had to have William Hartnell on the video screens rather than, you know, yeah. as a, as a walking around character. Yeah, and I hadn't realized this, but they said that bit afterwards, they said that he was reading from cue cards. Yeah. You know, which kind of made sense actually, but yeah, it, it, was, it was that bad that they had to do that, but it, it meant they just managed to get him in. And I'm glad they did. You know, it, it worked really well. Well, I've been, Buying a few of the classic episodes on iTunes. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and watching some of those kind of really early ones. And it's strange, isn't it? We're talking early on about, you know, somebody looking in at the sixties movies. <laughs> yeah. And yet you, you look back in on some of those early ones and I, I don't know. I don't know whether you could see the potential then. No. I, I think that. Maybe, maybe the potential started with Patrick Troughton's regeneration. Because at that point, you realize that, hang on a minute, this thing isn't just about one character in one form. It's yes. much bigger than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in, in some ways, I think it was, it was, um, because ratings were starting to sort of dip a lot towards the end of Patrick Troughton's reign, which is why they did this big change with John Pertwee that, you know, first of all, everything was in color. The technology was available, but they also, they made him earthbound and they introduced things like, um, I can never remember the name of his martial art, the Venusian Aikido. It or was, something. it was Venusian Aikido. Yeah. Or Venusian karate. <laughs> he was a fourth Dan. Yeah. In Venusian Aikido. Yes. Which was a little bit silly, wasn't it? Cause it wasn't that, you know, <laughs> didn't have to do that much to do before his, his enemies sort of crumpled beneath him. Um, but, you know, he shot guns and he drove an old car. And, you know, in some ways it was trying to sort of bring in elements of things like the Avengers. And it was making it a very different show. So in some ways I kind of wonder whether, you know, that kind of showed people that you know, this is actually something that with each Doctor could be completely different. You know, um, like they did with the Sixth Doctor. The Sixth Doctor was very grumpy and uh, violent, even, towards his companions. And uh, uh, universally hated because of it. Yeah, I mean, I remember John Pertwee that that because he was my doctor, and I can obviously remember some of the classic villains yeah. at the time. Um, sea Devils, obviously. Mm. Um, Go on, say it. What? <laughs> what? I've, been, I've been waiting for you to say this particular story name <laughs> since we started. I thought not the Green Death. Yes, <laughs> I always talk about the Green Death. Yeah, I know. I love the Green Death, <laughs> but it is it's a big popular one. Yeah, yeah, no, the Green Death was really and. Uh, but yeah, John Pertwee, I hadn't realised until I was kind of like looking back on other stuff that it was at that point that they made him into some kind of action hero <laughs> with the Venetian Aikido and yeah, and the kind of you know karate chopping karate chopping villains. Yeah, yeah, and he shot guns and things as well a little bit, and drove some ridiculous car with wings. I'm mean, not Bessie. Bessie no, was a classic. Yeah, this kind of like UFO 
type thing. Yeah. And it flew. I, I've forgotten this. I must have missed this one. But it actually flew. He had like a hover plane or hover copter or something. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, it's on the, on the bounds of ridiculousness, really, isn't it? But this but, was the 70s, so everything was ridiculous. It was. But I do, I do like the Purple Year because I like the Earthbound stories and stories like, like the Green Death and the Demons. Yes, you know, the Demons. I remember having the paperback book. Oh, the Target um, novelization. Yes, and being absolutely scared witless. <laughs> by yes. it. Because I think that that episode had the master in it. It did, yeah. And supposedly the devil, you know, that was the idea that it was, you know, Satan or one of his minions that they were, they were calling. There's a really funny story actually about the demons, which is great. There's a scene near the start where someone comes out the pub and they're going across the cemetery and there's, there's supposed to be this little like, suggestion that someone's, that something's moving, some little creature. Uh, but in fact, what happened, when they got on, on, on set, they didn't realize they hadn't got a prop, they hadn't got anything to use for this. Um, this creature that's flying. So that some one of the members of the, the um, production team had one of those big sort of Russian uh, woolly hats with the sort of like fur hats. Mm. And they basically just put that on a washing and a uh, fishing line, fishing rod, and just sort of pulled it across the cemetery. So, <laughs> literally, this thing that's supposed to be this kind of <gasps> suggestion of something horrible is just this, you know, fur hat. <laughs> anyway. I never watched it much after that. I mean, I remember watching Tom Baker. Yeah. And I probably got about halfway through, probably to, towards the end of Tom Baker era, because it was long, obviously, it was seven years. Yeah, yeah, it was the biggest. Um, but I was growing up at that point, so I didn't really watch any Doctor Who after that. I didn't watch any Peter Davidson. And right. I remember seeing elements of, or, you know, see the odd episode of Sylvester McCoy and just think it was ridiculous and spoiled and you know not at all what i remembered because it wasn't like my doctor who and i was kind of that was the end of it for me really it was yeah well it's because i started uh midway through tom baker so i think i remember the first time i ever saw doctor who was revenge of the cybermen and there was a scene where the cybermen were attacking tom baker and I think the parents sort of said, no, that's it. You're not watching that. <laughs> and, um, so it was like a few years later and it was like the last couple of seasons of Tom Baker that I was actually allowed to watch it properly. Um, but I, I watched it from that point, you know, onwards and never missed an episode from that point. Um, in fact, I even gave up, I was doing Cubs at one point and I gave up Cubs because they were repeating Doctor Who on that Cub night and that, that, that couldn't be done. So yeah, I, I, I stopped Cubs. You gave up your woggle. I gave, <laughs> I hung up my woggle. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so I have, I have watched it. That, that was my period. And so in some ways, you know, I, I really enjoyed Tom Baker, but in some ways Peter Davison was my doctor. Um, and again, I, I really liked the Earthbound stories. I liked it when he did things like The Awakening or Black Orchid, where, you know, we're, especially Black Orchid because it was a period piece. Um, you know, there was this uh, cricket playing youthful doctor that, that really appealed to me. I think that was, you know, I liked that that aspect of Doctor Who more than the, you know, when they were on an alien planet. So, um, mm. which is again why I like the John Pertwee stories as well, like the demons. No, it was. I remember, I remember those ones really, really clearly. Mm. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it did go downhill. I mean, Sylvester McCoy's. I mean, Colin Baker, I thought, was a brilliant doctor, but they, they forced him into this multicolored coat that he didn't want to wear. Um, they also were a bit, went a bit off, off kilter with violence. 
Um, and then when it came to Sylvester McCoy, they went too far the other way, too jokey. And they really, they really wanted to kill it off by that point. And it was a shame because actually the last two seasons of the Sylvester McCoy, they kind of switched to this very dark and mysterious, manipulative doctor that was much more interesting to watch. And they also stopped doing the, the kind of world variety performance thing, like, you know, Bonnie Langford popping up and, um, what else do they have? Oh, like, um, well, Richard Bryars wasn't too bad, but Ken Dodd. Ken Dodd? Ken Dodd. Yeah, you've not, no, you've see, no, not seen, I, not seen you, the Ken Dodd episode. What are you talking <laughs> about, man? Uh, now I'm trying to think which one it is that Ken Dodd was in. Because Richard Bryars was in one called Paradise Towers, which again was this very dark story about, uh, cannibals, um, in this, um, these old ladies that are cannibals in this, um, like apartment block. Um, but the way that it was presented on screen didn't quite capture the, the script's darkness. Um, and I can't remember the one that Ken Dodd was in. I think it was Delta from the Bannerman or something like that. But yeah, they, 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 they had this, this phase where they wanted to sort of pick anyone who had been on Blackpool Pier and make them have a cameo in Doctor Who. The TARDIS landed in Knotty Ash. Right, <laughs> <laughs> Or something. Oh, how, how dematerialised I am. You do, um, <laughs> you do, <laughs> do realise the Americans, they can have no idea. I know, which is good, actually. It's probably, probably best. I, mean, I do no love idea. Ken Dodd, but it's not that kind of... It's, it doesn't have a place in Doctor Who, really. But. Well, I like cameos, and I like the fact that we get great actors now wanting mm. to be in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um... And, you know, I'd like to see Jeremy Irons in it. Yeah. Yes. No real reason other than that you don't see enough things with Jeremy Irons in it, Mm. personally. Um, But then, like, Peter Capaldi's always in that tradition as well, you know, that bringing him in is like having, like, Derek Jacobi and John Hurt. I mean, John Hurt's obviously an even bigger sort of movie star, but um, having these sort of very serious, you know, good actors in, um, I think it's fantastic. I think Capaldi's going to be brilliant too. We'll talk about that a bit later on. Before, mm. before that though, we should just mention our first of our two sponsors for the day. Oh. It's Perch. Hooray! <laughs> Sorry, I like Perch. No, no, we do like Perch. Perch yeah. is my favourite little content management mm. system and it's designed to help you develop smaller sites quickly and more profitably and i can testify to that because at stuff and nonsense we're now using perch as our cms of choice mm. it's the one we reach for first and you know we're developing small sites way 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 faster than we ever have before because we're using perch mm. one of the most important things for us is because we design using code so much we want to take that code straight into the cms when we can and Perch gives us full control over HTML and markup and the design. You know, there's no pre-built markup that you have to battle with. Mm. And he, even the modules that are, that come with the add-ons, like uh, you know, blog entries in the blog app, they're so well-written, they've got really good HTML, and Drew's even put microformats into them, which always makes me smile. Yes. <laughs> yeah, remember them. <laughs> yeah, what did you say once? It makes the spam tag respectable again. <laughs> yes, maybe. I mean, it wasn't totally serious, but yeah. <laughs> Not that there's nothing wrong with the spam tag. But yeah, most of the time, you don't even have to change the perch markup. You can just use these elements as they are. Hmm. That means that you can use perch to manage content on everything from a swanky new HTML5 based responsive site design through to maybe even retrofitting your 
CMS to a really old client's crufty table-based site. It's, it's, you know, it's, I don't do that, but it's, it's that flexible. Yeah, well, one thing I would say about Perch, actually, is that I use it for a lot of little, little sites, things like our local school, um, is it for my wife's Lifecraft business? And what goes down really well is that people actually can use it. So not just us. You know, people actually take this and run with it and use it. And they don't need a lot of training to, or they don't need any training to learn how to use it. Um, and the fact that as, you know, as designers, we can add these little helpful labels. So, you know, um, uploading an image, we can say, you know, please make sure your image is this size or, um, you know, in a JPEG format. All these, all these little sort of helper texts that we can add in for them. But it, it all makes a difference. And they just, it's amazing just to see how, how easily they can use it. No, no. I mean, we spend generally, I'm going to do this on Monday. Monday morning, I'm going to be talking to one of our clients out in Kenya and Ooh. showing them how to use Perch. And I know that it'll probably take about 25 minutes and I'll, <laughs> <Yes>. never, <laughs> I'll never have to talk to them about it again. Yeah, brilliant. So Perch is self-hosted, so you can upload it to your own server along with the site and there's no ongoing service charges. A license costs just 50 quid or that's 75, no, 79 of your colonial US dollars that's per site. <laughs> and all the add-ons, like the blog add-on, the events, image gallery, there's a PayPal shop, uh, there's a members functionality, all those things, if you need them for your site, they're free. And there's even a new podcasts add-on that Drew and Rachel added uh, a few weeks ago. And I'm going to be switching this show's site over to using that probably over Christmas break, something like that. So if you've been thinking about giving Perch a try, now's a really good time. They're running a special 50% off deal for web designers and developers who want to try Perch out on their own agency or their own portfolio site. So go to grabaperch.com slash unfinished to find out more. Mm. Whatever happened to Susan, the first doctor's granddaughter? Oh, no, I hope you weren't going to bring that up. <laughs> Because I'd forgotten all about that until yeah. I saw the Hartnell uh, biopic. Hey, do you know what? I've, that's that's a black hole in my knowledge. Because um, what I'm going to do actually now is quickly search on the internet and find out. <laughs> but, but she was but she was shown um, in the, the the special last night, wasn't she? There was a yeah. little bit where we thought, oh, I almost thought they were going to bring her back, um, and you know, show what she's like now, or prove that she was actually someone that all along. Um, I'm just having a quick scan on Wikipedia. What's it say? Because she was on the, there was the sort of the follow up live show. Oh, she's in the Five Doctors, yeah. She was what? In the Five Doctors, the uh, oh. 20th anniversary special. Right. Yeah, she was in that. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sort of clear on the story about where she left and, and where she went to. Because so. the actor that played her was on the, the sort of the follow up show with Zoe Ball that was on. BBC Two. I don't know whether you caught bits of that. It was, mm. it was. I, don't know, I turned over to it and thinking that you know, because Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman and John Hurt, they were all going to be you know on there. So I thought, oh, you know, that might be worth kind of half a half an ear. Um, in the end, I had to turn it off after about twenty minutes. Because it was <laughs> honestly, it was worse than it was worse than bloody children in need. Oh no, it did seem excruciating. I, I was actually travelling to Glasgow at that time. So I was constantly checking, checking Twitter to find out who the reveal was. But all I was getting was people saying, well, my goodness, this is hard work. <laughs> yeah, no, no, awful. <laughs> Can we not just, you know, remove all the padding and just have a little five minute reveal and a quick interview and that's it, you know? 
Yeah, no, it, it drives me nuts on all of the, the, the padding that you get on these shows. It's, I, I don't want to know what people are saying on Twitter right now. And if I want to know what people are saying on Twitter, then I'll just go and look at bloody Twitter. I don't need a TV head to read it out to me. <laughs> oh, John on Twitter says, well done for the 50th anniversary. It's like, no. <laughs> so what hashtags are for. Yeah, exactly. Right, do you want to, do you want to know what happened to Susan? Mm, yes, Cause please. Because I've remembered now. It's it's all come back to me. It's a miracle. <laughs> it is. So yeah, the Dark Invasion of Earth, which is what that Peter Cushion film was based on, uh, in 1964, he, Susan falls in love with David Campbell, a young freedom fighter in the 22nd century, and then she leaves. But that's that bit. You know, the um, in Adventure in Space and Time, there's that, that very moving speech that William Hartnell gives about you know, uh, you, there must be no regrets, no tears. And yes. everything. That's where him saying goodbye to Susan. Because Susan was unsure. She was wanting to stay with grandfather and, you know, wasn't sure whether to go. But he was still saying, no, I want him to get shot of you for years. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's what happened to her. But I thought, I did think that maybe she would, you know, that she would come back last night. Because as a time traveller, he could at least go and look up how she is. <laughs> you thought so, yeah. <laughs> it's not like a final goodbye. It's like. He even claims in other stories that he doesn't have any family. Um, Curse of Fenric. Is that a continuity error or did they well, just try and rewrite it? Uh, or whether that later Doctor was trying to hide it or uh, they, they've not really kind of maybe not dealt with it very well. But uh, anyway. Let's talk about the little Night of the Doctor mini yeah, episode. Let's talk about that one because it was brilliant again. Well, <laughs> I no? wasn't expecting it at all and I think you tweeted something like i don't know you just exploded yes i did i swore (laughs) and i looked oh oh my god um and for the next i actually watched it for the first time on my phone Mm. and was just completely spellbound spellbound by it um yeah and it was it was completely unexpected i had no idea that that thing was going to come out see i knew that there was going to be a minisode as they call them but i didn't think it was going to be until a bit later, and I didn't think that Paul McGann was going to be in it. Um, unfortunately, the, 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 the reveal was ruined when some, I, the first time I saw it, Luke said, Ha, huh, Paul McGann's back! <laughs> and they, they couldn't just say, Oh, new Minnesota with, you've got to see this! And then let me sort of find out Paul McGann for myself. Um, but no, that was, I was buzzing for days after that. The bit where he says, I'm not the doctor you were expecting. Yes. <laughs> I mean, just such clever writing. It, and it also, it just kind of shows you again how good Paul McGann would have been as a doctor. I mean, he, he did lots of audio adventures with Big Finish. I think some were with actually the BBC they, um, they broadcast. So he's done a lot of that. And it was really nice because they, they alluded to it. Cause when he said, um, you know, goodbye, Molly, um, all these other companions. These are all companions from his audio adventures. Ah, uh, because that went way over my head. Yeah, it was sort of bringing in. It was it, it, these these big Finnish audio adventures have always been treated as canonical, but they, it was even better than that because it it kind of brought it into and was acknowledged by the, the TV version, um, and that was lovely. And and just little lines about you know four minutes. I might get bored. They got a television. Bring some knitting. You know, it's just. It was, it was showing his, you know, slightly more kind of grumpy version of his TV movie Doctor, but it was, it kind of gave a glimpse of what we've been missing out on, really. The bit that struck me was his exchange with, is it Cass, the 
girl in the spaceship mm. that he kind of crash lands into. Um, and that whole kind of concept as of time lords like war criminals. Yes. It's like by the point that that episode had reached, the time lords were as bad as the Daleks in terms of the stuff that they'd done. Mm. And that kind of, that part of the, of the story, that kind of untold part of the story, that's fascinating. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of power in, in that. Um, well, they had to do that. They had to kind of bring that aspect in because they keep alluding to the time war in the new rebooted Doctor Who. And Christopher Eccleston is obviously this doctor that's coming to terms with all these events. Um, but it's never really, you know, you never really get the impression that he had to, to kill, you know, destroy the entire planet, you know, and kill all the children and everything on, on it. You know, it wasn't just that you always thought, you know, he just had to kill all the Daleks and it was a bad thing. So yeah, having this, that, that, that was setting the scene nicely for this big decision that John Hurt's doctor had to make. But there was an episode with the Master. It was a David Tennant episode with the Master where the Time Lords yeah. were on their way back. He was bringing the Time Lords back through the drumming. That's right, yeah. And the whole kind of concept that the Time War had been locked mm. and Gallifrey and the Daleks were kind of, I don't know, locked inside this bubble, what, presumably endlessly fighting the war. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. That was kind of what it kind of alluded to. It was, yeah. And yet, when we, the bits that we've seen of the time war, cause I was really excited when I heard about the 50th and then this, you know, this little mini episode. I'm thinking, well, maybe we're going to get to see some time war stuff. Mm. And well, we did a bit, we'll come on to that. But the bits that we saw, I thought the time war looked a bit kind of one dimensional in a way. It's like Daleks and time lords fighting like in one time period. Yes, and in one place, right? And in than, one place, whereas yeah. I thought in my mind anyway that, you know, the time war was kind of raging across all of time and space. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, do you know what? I think it's simply budget. I think that's what it, that's all it is. Because I think, I think Night of the Doctor with Paul McGann, I think that was kind of on a fairly sort of small budget. But I think they had to use the script there to sort of try and give the impression to everyone that it is you know, it is universal. It isn't just Daleks fighting Gallifrey. Um, but I think it was just a kind of a case of just running out of money that meant that it, it was that small, you know, it was that, just that area. Um, a bit like, I don't know if you remember this one in a David Tennant one, the, the Shadow Proclamation. Yes. This, Emily. And again, this was something that was being built up as, you know, you know, you, you, you can't sort of, you know, go against the law of the Shadow Proclamation. That's like the Geneva Convention. And then they actually go to the Shadow Proclamation to ask for help. And you think, wow, this is it. This is going to be, this is going to be this huge, like, um, hall with just loads of people. And it was just a few people in costume at the top of a conference center. Do you remember that? (laughs) (laughs) It was like these breeze block walls and really, you know, it's, it was some sort of conference center in Cardiff. And I think listening to the making of afterwards, they did acknowledge the fact that Yes, it should have been bigger and grander. Yes, but we didn't have any money <laughs> left over. Um, so I think it's a shame because they could have actually made a bit more of it, you know, just by making it darker almost, you know. Well, th- here's the thing. I mean, I'm kind of geeking out on Time War stuff, but mm. the whole idea when we, when, when, with the Eccleston period where he'd obviously committed some kind of act that 
well, obviously we now know, you know, wiped out the Daleks and the Time Lords mm. and we're, we're suffering with that. And then, then he, then he, you know, then he meets a Dalek for the first time in that episode called Dalek, I think they called it. And oh my God, there's a Dalek. So yeah. that leads you to believe that beforehand he literally destroyed the entire Dalek race and, you know, the Time Lords along with it. And yet, now we find out that, yeah, okay, there's like a billion, billion of them surrounding Gallifrey. But, I mean, surely there must have been the odd one roaming about outside, you know, going and getting pizza or something. <laughs> <laughs> Nipping off and running a few errands. You know, he couldn't, you know, just, yeah. they, they couldn't, vanishing Gallifrey couldn't mean that, you know, the, the Daleks would destroy themselves. So it kind of, oh, it's just that little bit of a letdown. Uh, do you know what? I, yeah, I, I, I suppose thinking back on it now, yeah, I can see what you mean. But at the time, I didn't feel that. You know, I just felt that we were just seeing this little macrocosm, this little, you know, little one view. And the view that we saw was great. I mean, it just oh, looked, no, it was. I mean, especially at cinema, it, it had film production values. It looked like a movie, which I thought was amazing, you know, really. I almost forgot I was watching Doctor Who, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I just think that maybe it wouldn't have needed any special effects, but or even any kind of visuals, but just kind of, again, somehow alluding to the fact that this war is happening all the way across space and time mm. would have made it quite a lot bigger. Yes. Quite a lot scarier. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. But so at the time, I didn't feel that. So, But the little mini one was brilliant. Because the way that they kind of took Paul McGann's doctor um, into that decision about regeneration. Mm -hmm. And there was an interesting bit where, you know, the, what were they called? The Sisterhood of Khan? Yeah, from Reign of Morbius. Yes. Bunch of old crones. Yes. <laughs> it's like real market on a Saturday afternoon. Um, <laughs> they, gave, they were going to give him the choice. He could be anything. You mm -hmm. know, fat, thin wise, stupid, and male or female. Yes. He had left it hanging there. Well, anyway, I'm not going to get into whether the Doctor can be female, but there's a lot of choice okay. there. Sure. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. And, you know, he chooses the warrior. Mm -hmm. What was that thing he was holding in his hand, like that leather strap or something? What was that? It was like a sort of bandolier. It was like a, you know, I don't know, it didn't even actually get bullets in it or whatever, but it was like a, maybe just some sort of symbol of being a warrior. But I like that the fact that he did the regeneration and you don't get to see when he regenerates into John Hurt, mm -hmm. you don't get to see I was expecting to see John Hurt as we've seen him in all of the, the, the press material, you know, like John Hurt now, like old John Hurt. Yes, but you got the, the young John Hurt reflected in the glass, which was yes. that was a, a really good touch, really well done. And you had his voice. And it sounded yes. like the younger John Hurt as well, which was Incredible, really. No, I love that bit mm. because now you know that, I mean, you know, Paul McGann's doctor had said, you know, I'm not part of the war. You know, I'm, I'm a time lord, but I'm one of the nice ones. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to have known what the time lords did. You know, what, what, yeah. what did they do that was so bad? Mm. Well, maybe find out. Oh, I, I assumed it was just the sheer fact that this, this war between them was spreading out over the universe and was threatening to, I mean, the Paul McGann area, it was that Night of the Doctor episode, it was suggesting that there wasn't much of the universe left. Mm. Um, which kind of made me think, well, okay, well, if it was that bad, why did no one have that reaction that Cass had later? You know, why didn't Christopher Eccleston's Doctor have that kind of, 
oh, you're a time lord. Well, I don't want you. you can, I'd rather die than be saved by you. You know, it, that, that was, it was an unusual, I think. And maybe they're just trying to say that by that time everyone has forgotten. <laughs> it wasn't that long, you know. But, uh, but the idea that by regenerating him into a young John Hurt, that you've obviously got, well, what could be yes. hundreds of years between, um, you know, the, the John Hurt that we, he went regenerated into and the one that we saw. Mm. That was great. Cause you mm. can think about, I mean, they don't even have to tell the stories. Yes. Yeah. You know, the stories are in your head now. Yeah. Exactly. Just knowing that, knowing that that period was there, I thought was bloody brilliant. Mm. So yeah, I, 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 really well done. Really well done. So maybe we should go on to the 50th now because it's, uh, Mm. Well, before we do, yeah. before we do, let's talk about our second sponsor oh, for okay. the yes. day, which is, uh, it's a new app from Riot. So they're the people that make Hammer, mm. which I rant about all the time. Hammer for Mac is brilliant. So we've been talking about CMSs, but there are some times when you need to host static websites. You know, you might want to make a site for a special occasion, like a wedding or possibly even a road trip. I've done that a couple of times. Road trips, not weddings. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. You might just make clear about that. Um, yeah, you might, um, you might need a static holding page for a new startup or an app that you're building. Um, and for me, because I design using code, I often make a static version of a site that I'm working on, uh, in the form of a set of linked up static templates mm-hmm. so that my client can get a sense of what it will be like, uh, for a customer to click around the site. So Forge is a brand new way of hosting static yeah. websites. It's, Static hosting made simple, so they say. Mm. Now, Forge isn't everything for everybody hosting. They don't provide email accounts or databases. They just do one thing, and that's host static sites really well. Gosh. So uploading to Forge couldn't be simpler. You don't even need FTP. You just create an account on Forge, log in with your web browser, and then drag a zip file that contains your site into the window, and, well, that's it. It even works with Hammer for Mac and the build folder. Brilliant. Then your site gets uploaded, gets set up on a getforge.io domain. And of course, you can use your custom domains with Forge too. Forge gives you version-based history. So you can roll back to any previous version of your site. And most importantly of all, especially today when we're all concerned about performance, Forge is fast. I mean, it's blazingly fast. Forge uses Turbo.js. Not sure what that is. <laughs> right. Gonna sound as if I know what it is. It's, it's I, use tur- I use TurboJS Max myself, but yeah. <laughs> TurboJS Max Plus. <laughs> and that means that all your markup and assets are processed and that, that eliminates page loads and speeds everything up. All your assets get loaded from their uh, content delivery system. So your content's delivered super fast, as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Forge is really reasonably priced. The basic plan includes five websites and that's 10 US dollars per month. And the pro plan includes up to 20 sites and 40 gig bandwidth per month. And that's only $20. Mm-hmm. So you can sign up for a free account and then, yep, you get one site and up to five gigabyte bandwidth per month. And that's free and ongoing. It's not like a, a, a 30 day trial. That's forever. Gosh. Just, just for one okay. site. So what the bloody hell are you waiting for? Go to getforge.com slash unfinished and get forged. Mm. <laughs> Don't say it like that. Get forged. Get forged. Get forged. Yeah. Get forged. Right. 
Did you read any spoilers before the 50th? Come on, be honest. Yes. I couldn't help myself. (laughs) (laughs) I only read one. I think because as far as I was aware, there there was only one. Uh, And that was the one about Tom Baker. And so it it, it kind of ruined surprise. Although by that point of it, I'd forgotten that he was going to be supposed to be in it. Um, So that was a surprise. So in, in some ways, the spoiler didn't spoil it too much for me. But it's, yeah, I, I did read that. Because apparently he just came out and told someone. I think he just said, I'm not supposed to tell anybody who know. I can't do a Tom, Tom Baker voice, but, you know, but I, I'm in the special. I'm not supposed to say it, but I am, you know. <laughs> Would you care for a jelly baby? Yes. John Coleshaw does a fantastic, really it, does you know, an amazing, a really, really uncanny impression. So, um, yeah, so that was great. Just actually while we're on that, what did you think of the Tom Baker bit? I think it was probably unnecessary, but I really like seeing him. Mm. And I think I probably overthink things. Uh-huh. And I and I wonder whether or not that means that Tom Baker's doctor kind of had a life that we don't know about. And mm. now I want to know how he got to be the curator. <laughs> I can't just leave it as it was. I can't think, oh, that was nice. It's, it's, um, it's one of these things that, in some ways, yes, they kind of shoehorned it in just to be a nice little surprise for the fans. But I also think it works in the sense that, you know, it's nice just having a little bit of mystery. And leaving you with questions and thinking, well, how could it be him? Is it him? Mm. And that's nice. I think that's nice. They're not saying it is the doctor, but they're just, you know, they're just giving you this little thing to, to think about that, you know, if it is him, how could it be him? And it was lovely. You know, it was clever. It was very mm. clever writing. I mean, there was brilliantly clever writing all the way through the episode, but his particular speech where he taps his nose and says, who? Knows, yeah, <laughs> which I thought was 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 very very funny. Um, and he said something interesting, and I can't remember exactly word for word what it was now, but it was about the future Doctor revisiting a few old favourites. Ah, yeah, I've actually got that line right in front of me here. <laughs> don't don't ask me how. He says, "I know you don't." No, then Doctor says, "I never forget a face." So Tom Baker says, I know you don't, and in years to come, you may find yourself revisiting a few, but just the old favourites, I. Yeah, so who knows what that means? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> I've got a clue, mate. <laughs> but, because does that open the door for, you know, future Doctor cameos? It can't. Mm. It can't. Because like you said earlier on, they're all old and fat now. <laughs> I didn't say old and fat, but I alluded to that, yeah. Okay, well, Peter Davidson isn't old and fat. He looks, he doesn't look yeah, He looks too bad, no. But, um, yeah, Colin Baker's, you know, definitely older and fatter. But and so I, I couldn't quite tell the difference between Sylvester McCoy and the character that he plays in The Hobbit. It's <laughs> exactly the well, same. There's a, there's a reason for that as well. But, yeah, um, yeah it's... I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm lost for words on that one. Yeah, no, we kind of skipped to the end of the episode. Really. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, go back to the beginning. Yes. Go it, back, to, go back to the very beginning because I started to get the hairs on the back of my neck standing up the minute that we saw, and forget about the fact that the TARDIS is coming in by helicopter because that's just a stunt. Oh, yeah. It was a, that, that was a bit cringy. Yeah. I would have loved to have actually been in Trafalgar Square the day that they filmed that. Yes, I remember my friend Corrin who lives in London, he saw it happening. He happened to be going past the gallery at the time and uh, yeah, there it was. 
<laughs> it was one of these things they couldn't hide the filming of that bit, could they? Yeah. Well, not really. It seems like they found the square. There's a TARDIS on the, on the crane. Yeah, yeah. And th- that was weird, wasn't it? Because, like, you know, why why would they winch the TARDIS by helicopter and say, "Oh, sorry, we didn't know you'd actually be inside it." <laughs> you know? Oh goodness, that was a. Also, how weird. could they tell that it was the TARDIS and not just some old police box? Because I saw a police box in Scarborough that looked exactly like a TARDIS. <laughs> oh, they have they have uh, detector machines, machines that go ding. Well, I got I got excited when I saw the fall of Arcadia. Mm. painting and then all of a sudden it's like oh, that's time lord art because now you see now we're getting the whole it's not just bigger on the inside of a tardis you're getting all this kind of stuff coming up here it's like somehow the time lords are able to compress time and space into you know something as flat as a painting mm. then make that three-dimensional that was fantastic yeah. oh no it was it, that was utterly, utterly brilliant. Mm. Um, and then the way that it led into the live action sequence that you talked about earlier on with, with the, the Daleks. Yes. Yeah. That would have been the bit that I would have wanted to see in 3D, I think. I could have suffered 3D for just that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That would, that did look awesome. And it sounded good too in a big, nice big cinema stereo. I'd have liked to have seen, you know, maybe another 15 minutes, really. You were really bloodthirsty for the time war, weren't you? <laughs> no, that's the thing, yeah. It's like, I mean, I'm a big Terminator fan as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in the first few Terminator movies, they alluded to the war between the humans and machines. Mm. And you see the bits where, you know, obviously people have lost and the Terminators in their robot forms are kind of, you know, walking across this cursed earth, you know, scorched earth, you know, shooting things and treading on skulls. And it's incredibly, incredibly powerful images. And you think, man, what happened in that war? You know, that would have been incredible to see that with the hunter killers flying overhead. Yeah. And when they actually did get to it, I think in Terminator whatever Terminator 4 was. I, uh, I lost after the, after the third one or second one. I can't remember. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget what the last Terminator movie was. They're going to reboot the whole thing. Um, of course. And yeah. <laughs> and it was just, um, it's like, oh, it's just really disappointing. Mm. Because I, I, I don't know. I'd like to think about what happens between the, the gap. I want to see what happens between the gaps. Yeah. And also, it'll never be as good as your imagination. No, well, I think that's my problem, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was Olive just having a... <laughs> To do a horse impression. I'm not sure why she did that. Olive's your dog, we should explain to yes. anybody that happens to have unfortunately stumbled part through this <laughs> yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's lying right next to me. She's our golden retriever. It's a bit of a big lump. Anyway, yeah, um. <laughs> it's not your wife. No. <laughs> <laughs> Snoring in the background. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but so many good bits last night. What else? What else did you like? Okay, so. Other bits that I thought were incredibly clever in terms of writing. Um, I'd been wondering forever and ever and ever whether or not the David Tennant doctor in the 50th would be our doctor or because I knew that Billy Piper was coming back. Yeah. Whether I had this kind of weird theory that mm. it would be Billy Piper as Rose and the half-human doctor yeah. that was in the 50th. Because I thought, how the hell can they bring them, both of them back? And it not, and, and you know, if they brought Rose back as Rose with our doctor, then 
there would be the question of what happened to the one that she shacked up in the alternative dimension with. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that, actually. I, I saw that a lot, people saying, oh, it's got to be that one, mainly because his hair wasn't spiked up. <laughs> I think that was one of the things. The Metacrisis Doctor kind of had flatter hair. And, you know, that David Tennant always had the quiff. Um, but for some reason in this one, they didn't give him the quiff. I don't know why. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe his hair just so stubborn now that it wouldn't, wouldn't stay up in a quiff. It happens to us all. <laughs> yeah, you can get pills for that. Um, but yeah. No, the hair. The hair is <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah. Can't get your hair to stay the way it used to. Not without masses of product. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> we digress. Um, yeah, and I think one of the, the great things was the, the fact that they brought Rose back, but it wasn't actually Rose. Mm. That was good because I thought they can't bring her back again. I was I was cross the last time they brought her back because that ending um, when she was trapped in the alternative dimension uh, or parallel universe version. I thought it was perfect. It was a, it was such a beautiful ending when they said goodbye on the beach. And, you know, I was quite tearful at that one. And, yeah, well, um, no, I was. But then, you know, they brought it back and it sort of ruined it. You know, it just made it, you know, well, they can come back after all, you know, terrible. Um, but then yeah, that was very clever last night having this ultimate weapon with a conscience that then would, you know, choose a, a form that, uh, that they would choose. Not sure why it was the bad wolf rose and not just any, you know, rose. But, um, no, because there was that bit where, um, John Hurt says the bad wolf girl and David Tennant's like, what? Yes. <laughs> I, I just didn't really need that. No. And actually, cause it never could have came up again and it never wasn't important to the plot. It didn't, maybe that again, maybe one of these things, there's a cut scene that makes it, you know, it would, it would have been important, but, um, anyway, it, it could have just said it was Rose, you know? And that would have had the same reaction, and it would have made sense. I thought the way that they, I thought the way that they brought her back was incredibly good writing. Mm. Um, and I, I, I mean, it, it was just there was there were very very few loose ends. I think throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Well, the, the, what I liked is actually that it tied up a lot of loose ends that were from previous episodes, like the whole Queen Elizabeth thing, because we first see her in Shakespeare Code where she's very cross with the Doctor. But at that point of David Tennant's um, timeline, you know, he didn't know what he's done, you know, that, to, to have made her so cross. Um, and then later on, just before that that one you mentioned earlier, but with the um, the last David Tennant story, there's a bit where he kind of talks to Anood about, you know, why he's been so late and he's been, you know, off with Elizabeth I. And kind of now it makes sense because he kind of married her sodded off and never came back. <laughs> so when he, when he finally turns up and when Queen Elizabeth is this very old lady, um, yes, yeah, she's going to be a bit cross, you know, and we're going to want him, um, want him arrested. So that, that was good. You know, those little bits that, that fitted in and the whole kind of, you know, I don't want to go business. It, oh, you know, you see, I love that. And it did, I it, love it, that. It, it kind of put it, you, you sort of knew where you, where David Tennant was in his timeline when he got pulled out, you know, it was made it obvious. So, um, that was really good, you know, and it, 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 it um, and just the nice characters coming back like Kate Stewart, um, Osgood with the big scarf. Now we'll come back was, to that. Come back right, to the big okay. scarf in a minute. Mm, okay. Cause I was the whole, I don't want to go thing. I remember watching, you know, the, the, into the Matt Smith regeneration, um, and, you know, we'd had that whole, uh, knocking three times 
Oh, yes. The yeah. Bernard Cribbins thing. Yeah. Um, which I, did, I didn't really like that. Really? I mean, that was, the only no. bit, that was the only bit I liked in the whole thing. And, the, <laughs> I mean, it was, there was a ridiculous episode because, you know, the fact that he falls from a spaceship through some plate glass ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. And lands with, you know, lands with a sort of a bandage on his head. Mm. Not at all scuffed up. <laughs> I thought that was pretty crappy. But yeah. I was, I mean, I knew that it was the final one and I knew that you know, there was going to be the regeneration and the whole knock three times thing. And I'm still thinking, you know, at the point where he's, he's got rid of the time Lords and the master. And I'm thinking maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe it's a hoax. Maybe he's not going to go. <laughs> on. I'm really hoping maybe he's not going to go after all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- that whole kind of, I don't want to go thing was, I, that was my emotional bit. I really didn't. I really, I really liked that. And they did, quite a lot of takes i hear of that uh, particular scene right, yeah because they didn't want him they didn't want to make him sort of overly emotional oh yeah that's right yes he did it various different ways of saying it to try and get yes. the right right tone and then ultimately it was almost kind of like a resigned thing in a way mm. and I'd, I'd never really thought about regenerations because obviously you know they they get regenerated when something catastrophic happens yeah um but i'd never really thought about somebody just kind of being you know mortally wounded or something but this whole kind of right i'm going to go now and i'm not going to be the same again Mm. i mean i know we had it with the eccleston thing but that's really powerful i've never really thought about regeneration so much and that's good because that's one thing they have picked up on you know that that does make the character more deep you know that um that aspect of it um yeah very well she's done so just while we're on the subject of regenerations it occurred to me that we've now seen Every single regeneration. Yes, we finally got all the all the little the links done. I did think for a second we were actually going to see Christopher Eccleston, even though I knew he'd refuse to appear. Why? Why does he? Why does he not want to be part of this? He, he said, "Never washing the same river twice." <laughs> that was his way of explaining it. I think. I mean, apparently he very politely refused, but he refused. And I think basically it's just that he's moved on. He's done that because he did. You know, he did sort of. Um, not quite stalk Russell T. Davis, but he did, you know, ask him to consider him for the role. He wanted that, that, that role. But then again, he only wanted it for one year. Um, and never again. So it, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But I think they just did that thing again where they, they managed to sort of take, um, a good shot of his face enough to that you could see that John Hurt was turning into him. So you didn't really see him fully realized as, Christopher Eccleston, but you could just see the eyes changing and, you know, there's enough to, enough to know. That was one of the details that I think made it so good an episode because now you know that there aren't any missing hurt episodes. It's like if you'd have gone off in the TARDIS, you'd, you'd be thinking to yourself, okay, well, you know, what happened after that? He's obviously kind of, um, you know, uh, Oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? He's kind of, you know, been re-assimilated back into the canon. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of been forgiven because actually he didn't commit the atrocity in the first mm-hmm. place. So, you know, there could well have been this kind of need for, you know, idea of a bunch of hurt episodes, mm. you know, adventures after that, um, you know, post time war kind of hurt. But of course, no, because he gets in the TARDIS and 
It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, no. Regeneration time. Initially, I wondered, well, that's a bit weird. You know, he just, just like that regenerating. But I guess the whole point was the, that he regenerated specifically to become a warrior to end the time war. And at that point, you know, that, 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 that role had, had been fulfilled. So maybe that was what triggered the regeneration. Cause he kind of, he, he goes in and he starts regenerating. He says, Oh, makes sense. But that, it doesn't really explain why, why then he suddenly regenerates. But yeah, at least it, it just tied all up. But at least, you know, John Hurt was a fantastic doctor. You know, Lee was saying last night, you know, wouldn't it be great to see some episodes like that, you know, with him doing it? I don't think he would, you know, he wouldn't uh, commit to that kind of um, schedule, but he would have been good. So it may be a possibility of him coming back and doing, you know, the occasional special, though. Mm, yeah, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to see Paul McGann episodes, because that's the thing. They, they could delve back into the Paul McGann, and they could even explain how the Time War came to start, you know, um, you know what was particularly bad about it by by going back to Paul McGann's one. They could do, like, all like prequels, but, you know, there's that. He, he's, he's in the state now. He, he doesn't look too old. They could easily go back and film those bits. That would be interesting, I think. I want John Hurt's beard. <laughs> no, you're not far off, though, are you? He's <laughs> no, getting there. Now I've realised what my role model is. But I tell you what, there's a funny bit of writing. When, when he says, as he's regenerating, he said, I don't know whether you caught this bit, he says, I hope the years are going to be a bit less conspicuous next time. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> goes, nice, nice dig. Yeah, exactly. Oops, no. never mind. <laughs> Christopher Eccleston is huge, you know, cup-like ears. Um, so let's go back. Let's talk, because we're still talking about doctors rather than the plot thing. Um, was that a clue? Was that Tom Baker's scarf on the sciencey girl? Yes, there was something. I don't know if it was cut, but apparently there was some line that she has to said was, thanks, you gave it to me. So, you know, when he sort of compliments on the scarf, I think that maybe it has been cut then, but th- there was all this talk b- beforehand about her saying this, and that kind of, again, made sense. Um, so it maybe wasn't, because I mean, you, you, in future gener- generations, you see when the Doctor tries on new clothes. Uh, I think Sylvester McCoy did it, and I think Colin Baker did it. They both try on the big Tom Baker scarf. Um but yeah, that's that's what they say. But I think what the point was that at some point in the future, the future doctor that gives her the scarf, maybe I don't know. Right. Anyway, but yeah, the, no, that was cool. The big question there with the doctors was: Is Matt Smith the eleventh or the twelfth doctor? Ah, ah, yes. Now, yes, and is, is Capaldi going to be number thirteen? Mm, oh, Capaldi! That was I gripped my seat when ooh, he ooh. he suddenly had those eyes. <laughs> Coming at you for the, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> well, so that part where, I mean, yeah, this is, this is the bit that I really, really liked. I mean, the, the, the doctors, the, the TARDIS is all 13 of them. No, 12. No, how many? No, it would be 13. Cause that's, that's, that's what the, 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 the time lords were saying, all 12 of them. And then says, no, sir, 13. And that's when you suddenly see Capaldi. Oh. <laughs> no, I thought that was a very, very, very good image because it, again, it kind of tied everything together in terms of, you know, the doctor's timeline. It's like he'd been working on this plan, if you like, for centuries. Mm. Um, and somehow the fact that they brought, it wasn't just the three of them. You know, it wasn't like a kind of, you know, like the early kind of three doctors thing. It's like they somehow found a way of bringing 13 TARDISes. Yes. Yeah. 
And the way that when they were at the end, I mean, we're just skipping about all over the bloody place, but when you see <laughs> three TARDISes next to each other mm. in that room, and they're all slightly different. Yes. You know, they've all got their own kind of pattern. So, some, yeah, some are sort of cleaner or neater than others. Some have got the white frame windows. Um, some don't. So, yeah, that was lovely. But and, Yeah, sorry. They're, they're gone. Say? They're gone. No, I was going to talk about wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a tangent. <laughs> no, no, TARDIS wallpaper. Oh, okay. Ah, yes, yeah. Because, yeah, I don't like Matt Smith's current TARDIS at all. No, I don't. I like I like the one he had when he started, which is this big, expansive, almost sort of gothic cathedral kind of thing um, with lots of space in it. But I don't like this very clinical, smaller, um, you know, no, I just don't like that at all. And like, I prefer David Tennant's as well to compare to the new one. The fact that um, that the look of the TARDIS is just wallpaper, though, mm. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> the desktop theme, they've called it before. The desktop theme, um, yeah. Because they're the one with um, David Tennant and Peter Davison. And Peter Davison says, oh, I don't like this one. What is it? Coral. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah. And, and also we got a glimpse of uh, John Hurt's TARDIS as well, which had the, the roundels, the roundy bits. Yes. Um, which, you know, there, there was always those things behind them. They had like, you know, electronics that you took those those bits off and, I think the sixth doctor had that, you know, he was sort of fiddling with wiring behind there. But they said, Oh, I can't remember what they were for. <laughs> but they go back eight they go back forever, I think. Yeah, it was William Harnell had the circles mm. on the inside of the TARDIS. Yeah, I mean that's it. They they showed that on the Ventures of Space and Time that the set designer got this sheet of card that had the um uh where they had you know part of their sort of the set design materials, they have these sort of pre cut circles and he just gets one of these sheets pushes them the circles out and says you know that's the backdrop you know that's it no it was it was brilliant and the way that they as i say they brought all of those doctors back because he'd been working on those calculations for so long <laughs> yes which i thought was yeah you know, <laughs> which i thought was genius because the, the the time lords were like hang on a minute but that's gonna take forever that's gonna take centuries to work this, this stuff out <laughs> here's what i prepared earlier yeah <laughs> but the thing with <laughs> the thing with the uh, where the t- where the sonic screwdriver had been ca- working on a calculation for centuries to <laughs> yeah. open the door in the Tower of London. Yes, and it was already open all the time. And it was already open. I mean, the, co- <laughs> the comedy stuff in there. I mean, I think that this is the the thing. Where, if they were ever to make a movie of it, mm. it's not just about the you know making it a big budget kind of action sci fi movie. Yeah. Um, the humour is such an important part. And that was just like, that was yeah, so clever. I, I think the humour is quite hard to get right as well. Because, you know, I did find that a little bit, a little bit cringy. That, all that stuff at the start. You know, a little bit too, a bit too fluffy. I, I quite like things like Tom Baker's sense of humour. Because, um, like in City of Death, where he says, Oh, I love your butler. He's so violent. <laughs> you know, that kind of, but yeah, the, the whole door was unlocked all the time. I don't know. It, it was okay, but I didn't, it, it didn't sit that well with him. No, I, 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 I thought that it was, there, there were very few things, um, that I, I thought afterwards, Oh, you know, what happened to that? Apart mm. from, I mean, maybe I, I, I did have to nip for a wee. Halfway through. <laughs> too, too much information. I know, well, you know, it's an hour and a half. You can't pause then. You haven't got the sky or anything. Oh, no, we've got sky. Oh, right. you know, I wasn't going to do that. But 
what actually happened to the humans zygons thing uh, in the end? Mm-hmm. Because all of us did it just like just disappear? Because I know that they were like, oh, they stopped the the destruction clock, um, and they said, oh, you two can just kind of figure it out, and in a minute you're not going to know who's human and who's Zygon. Yeah. And then did we actually find out in the end what happened? <laughs> no, we just assume a peaceful ending to that. You know that it all went ended happily, um, because it was a good good idea to to use those those things that wipe the staff members' memories every day. Um. To, to put them in that position where they're not sure who they are. Um, but there's that bit where the two Osgoods swap the inhaler and they wink. Mm. And I didn't know whether that was trying to say, actually, I do know I'm a Zygon. I'm just pretending or something. I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just that, you know, you need this, you know, whether you're a Zygon or, you know, human, you know, you've, you've adopted that form. Therefore you need to have the inhaler. I don't know. Let Zygons be bygones. Oh, oh dear. How long have you been storing that one up for? I cannot <laughs> take credit for that because <laughs> Alex, my son, tweeted that this morning. <laughs> which, it's got to be the show title, but it, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Did you think the Zygons were the right enemy this time? Um, not sure. They were a little bit inconsequential really to the whole thing. You know, you could have cut the whole Zygon and Queen Elizabeth thing out, um, or at least the Zygon bit. And it, you know, the story was about the Time War and about the John Hurt's Doctor. And it was a little bit of a, I don't know whether they just did it just to have a bit of whimsy, bring a bit of an old, the old one back. Um, I also not that keen on the new design and that the old one was fantastic. It looked, you know, less human. Whereas these ones, there was this sort of clear bit of the face and they got these sharp teeth and it just looked more kind of like a human in a suit. Whereas the old one actually, even though it was obviously cheaper, succeeded in obscuring more of the features and making it look more alien, I think. I can remember the the, the original Zygons because they were like, they were really rubbery. Yeah, yeah. And the whole ship, the whole the, the controls of their ship were all these sort of slimy rubber suckers and things. I mean, what, did, what, did you, what did you think of the Zygons anyway? I thought that they were good, but I think that they could have probably been, apart from the shape-shifting capability, mm. uh, which of course was why they used them. Yeah. Um, it could, it could have been kind of any, um, any villain, but I'm glad, I'm really glad that they chose something like the Zygons and didn't do something like, were they the Slovene? Oh yeah. Uh. <laughs> Groan. The, the, the zipping up human suit thing. Yes. And the, and farting. the farty gas. Yeah. Yes. I know, which I, 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 because nah, I'm old, I thought that was terribly bad taste. But um, I just thought it was a bit cheesy here. I thought that it was the Zygons were the Zygons were great, and I'd like to see some of the old villains back too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see the Master back, and uh, it, that would be an interesting character. That's always a, a good one. If you find someone as good as Roger Delgado, uh, would be fantastic. But I did feel that whole Zygon bit could have just been chopped out. Really, you know, it was it was fun, but it it, it wasn't important. Um, but then the whole question of how Queen Elizabeth came by, uh, the, the Gallifrey painting, that wasn't really clear, that was it? No, unless she was given it by Tom Baker. Mm. Yes. <laughs> which I think might have been, uh, oh, maybe. Might have been. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Cause I mean, yeah, the whole curating thing, I, I don't know. Now, obviously, the stage is set for, for Christmas. Yeah. That's when you regenerate. So this is, 
there's been a wee trailer out already this morning um, where he's on Trends Law. So despite David Tennant saying, oh, I don't want to go there, um, the, the, he's still going to Trends Law and there's Weeping Angels there and the silence are back. Uh, and this is going to be him. But this is it. They've always talked about it being the fall of the 11th. So that kind of still suggests that this isn't, you know, that he isn't the 12th Doctor. He is still the 11th. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll they'll clear that one up at the, on the Christmas one. Well, I'd, I'd forgotten that it wasn't going to be the regeneration this time. Mm. I kind of, I, I thought that it was going to be the first Capaldi episode at Christmas. Right. Um, so I, I got that completely wrong. Ah, right. Well, I, 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 I'd heard that it was the Christmas one he's regenerating, but I kind of thought, oh yeah, I bet they'll spring a surprise on us. And, you know, even though Matt Smith's been filming the Christmas one, I bet they're, 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 they're lying basically. And that this will be in the same way that the Stephen Moffat lied that Paul McGann wasn't going to come back, you know? Um, so, but yeah, it, it's interesting. That'll be the, that'll be the, the changeover. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. Just one last thing, actually, because this is kind of, I kind of feel that we're kind of coming to the end of this one. Have you seen the five-ish doctors on, yes, the, on the red buttons? I, I did see that, <laughs> which I, I, I thought was brilliant, actually. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it was basically Peter Davison had said, well, if we're not going to be in it, we'll make our own. <laughs> and he's got this, he's got a Vimeo account. And he's got a couple of other videos a bit like this where there's kind of, there's a running joke with the fact that he's, you know, he's, you know, he's pretending that David Tennant's house is his and he's stealing his taxi and this and that. The, you know, David Tennant is cropping up as, you know, son-in-law, do, do us a favor, come in this video. Um, but he does these very good little funny self-deprecating videos. Um, and that was exactly the same thing he did last night as well. But just involving everyone else. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved it. I thought that it was like it was the perfect accompaniment because you know, obviously, it must be hard for 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 them not to be in it at some point. Yeah, like, yeah. So I just thought that was like it was it was so well done, and it wasn't mean spirited or anything yeah. at all. <laughs> yes, and the fact that yeah, we did have David Tennant come back into it, and uh, Stephen Moffat played his part too. Yeah, so yeah. I thought it was I thought it was really, really, really nice. I tell you what did surprise me actually seeing some of the stuff that was around the the fiftieth yesterday. Mm. Um have you seen pictures of Karen Gillan recently? With the short hair. With the shaved head. Yeah. Apparently she is playing Nebula, which is a Marvel character. Oh really? It's a big next year, I think it's out next year. Guardians of the Galaxy. Apparently. Oh right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like a it's a Marvel superhero movie and she's one of the villains. Ah. Oh. But I was, of course she's a, of course she's a villain, she's British. <laughs> what was it ooh, sorry? No, no, it was a bit of a surprise. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I did. I had no idea that why, why she'd um, shaved her head because Matt had to shave his head for a um, Ryan Gosling film, wasn't it? And then he had to wear a wig for the fiftieth because it um, his hair obviously hadn't grown back by that point. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's a wig. Uh, same with the Christmas one. He had to wear a wig for that as well. So. It's only, no, it's only, if you saw him on um, Graham Norton on Friday, uh, you could see that his hair is only just starting to. You know, be a sort of a more his normal length, but it's still not as long as it was in, the, in Doctor Who. So, no, overall, I thought it was bloody brilliant. And it was, I think it's, I've been up and down with Doctor Who, even since the reboot. Mm. You know, yeah, I've, I've, I'm with you on that one as well. Yeah, definitely. 
I've been through periods where I really liked all of the Eccleston stuff and I liked the early David Tennant stuff. And then they started to introduce a lot of those kind of season length story arcs. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Which, to be honest, you know, maybe because I'm old, but you know, <laughs> I haven't got the concentration to, yeah. <laughs> to keep that. And, and I, I found it, I found the whole kind of tear in time stuff and a lot of those other story arc stuff, um, a bit tenuous. Um, and sometimes I would, you know, I'd start watching an episode and, you know, I'd sort of drift off in front of the fire on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But the last few, the last season I thought was really good. And, you know, obviously with the build up to the 50th, they had a lot to, they had a lot to live up to. Mm. And I, I didn't come away disappointed at all. I thought no. it was just bloody brilliant. Yeah. I had been worried because I've not liked, especially, um, Matt Smith's middle season, the one where they had the astronaut, uh, which was River Song that shot him. That, didn't whole, like that. that whole story. It, it, not, he didn't like it. It just was an absolute cobbler. It didn't make sense. It was, it was too, it was too overcomplicated and it didn't need to be. You know, I like, it can be complex and hard to understand, but that was just, you know, it, so I heard someone call it incomprehensible twaddle. You know, it was just like, what? You know, this is just, just not entertaining to watch. Um, but yeah, I agree. The last season has been much better. Um, you know, the last few ponds, uh, and the, the Clara storyline, I thought was fantastic. And then the very last episode of that, where you suddenly realize what Clara is and the fact that she's gone back in time and sort of splintered herself and, you know, over history. Um, to save the doctor. And that was, that was fantastic. So I was a little bit trepidous there. You know, is it going to be another one of these? And it, and it almost did become that, that this very over complex. Well, they did this in this time. So therefore in this time, it's, this is going to happen. And think, Oh God, I can't follow this. Well, also the, the whole kind of 13 Tardises round Gallifrey thing mm. was, was brilliant and it worked and they didn't kind of over milk it. Whereas there was the episode where the TARDIS drags the earth back from Dalek space into our solar system back mm. in oh, one of the, the specials. And you, yeah. did, you know, where the, with Captain Jack and, you know, and, and Davros. And I thought Davros was brilliant in that. He episode. was. I thought, yeah. I thought that that was really, really good. And that was, um, obviously, uh, Russell Davis. Episode. And, you know, he did have this tendency to kind of just go overboard on it. Yeah. The season finale was always this big, but it also had a big reset button as well. You know, it always had this way of everything is really bad. Oh, but we can just press this and it'll all reset back to normal, but we'll be okay because we're at the eye of the storm. You know, they, they did that so many times that it just became a bit really silly. Um, but yeah, Davros was good in that. Superman three. I think it was Superman. Or was it no? The end of Superman two, <laughs> right. where Superman flies at the speed of light That's the it. wrong way around <laughs> the Earth, yes, to reset time to the beginning, mm. made absolutely no bloody sense. <laughs> yes. Um, so he could have done the whole kind of thirteen Tardises thing. Could have just been a complete disaster yes but it wasn't it was underplayed yes and good, that's a really good way of saying it underplayed is exactly what it was so my hope is that it's going to carry on just getting better mm. yeah well i think you know i think now with capaldi i would be interested to see someone else other than stephen moffat taking over because he wrote he, he he always wrote the best episodes like blink 
um, Doctor Dances, The Empty Child, uh, Girl in the Fireplace, uh, with uh, Madame de Pompadour, you know, those ones. He always wrote the consistently the best episodes, but when he took over, things got a little bit, maybe he wasn't as focused, you know, like that whole middle season, the, the astronaut one. Um, it would be interesting to let someone else have a go now, I think. I'm not sure if you, I think, I think you will. I think he'll be, you know, committed to another year yet, but, um, it'd be interesting to have someone else at the, at the reins, sort of like Neil Gaiman, maybe. Yeah. Or Mark Gattis has mm, been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Obviously he wrote, um, you know, he wrote the adventure in space and time. Yeah. Biopic. Yeah. Which I thought was, which we talked about. Um, and he's written quite a few episodes across this last yeah, season. And some have been, some have been better than others. Um, I quite like the Ice Warrior one, but not, a lot of people, not everyone did. I saw a lot of negativity about that one. Um, I really liked his one, The Unquiet Dead, with the, um, which is the second ever, second or third ever, uh, Eccleston story, which went back to, uh, uh, Charles Dickens. Did you remember that one? I do remember yeah, that one. But I, th- I, th- I thought that was a really good one. But, um, yeah, I think he's done some good ones and some not as good ones. Are you a Sherlock fan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Are you? Are you? Yes, but late. Mm-hmm. I only really watched them last year. I bought the the uh, the seasons on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I didn't see them when they were on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think again, I think it was Dan, my friend Dan, was. Uh, we were just talking about TV shows one day, and I was moaning that I didn't have anything to watch. It was like, and I think, I think it was, I think it was Dan that mentioned Sherlock. Right, yeah. And I know Mark Gattis, he's, he's written, obviously, a lot for that, too. So mm. It's um, it, it's only three stories every season. That's always the thing. You really get into it, and it always leaves you wanting more, because three never feels enough. You know, if this was America, there'd be, you know, at least six, ten, twelve, you know. I've been catching up with Battlestar Galactica, and I think season two was, like, 24 or something, wasn't it? It was... Loads of episodes, but yeah. Oh yeah, have, have, have you finished that yet? I'm on season three now. I'm working my way about halfway through season three, so I've got the rest of this half of the season, and then the season four, and that's it. And I'm loving that too. Really enjoying it. No, oh, no, it's great. I'm up to date with everything now that that we're watching. We're watching Homeland season three, uh-huh. which is on the TV now, um, and obviously Walking Dead which is on the TV. So I haven't got any kind of big binge catch-ups to, to have. Right. Yeah. I mean, after, after I finished Galactica, I think got Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad will take you, take you a while. Yeah. And there's, there's still a lot of old Doctor Who's I haven't, I went to rewatch and, and see. So there's always going to be something. Alex was joking the other day. I saw him tweeting something that he'd sat down and put an episode of Breaking Bad on while he ate his tea one evening. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then five hours later, he's still sat there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Couldn't put them down. Yeah. Uh, I can see that happening, definitely. So we should wrap this up. Yeah. Oh, it's been great. And uh, I love this because, you know, it's always nice to talk to another fan after the, after the show and, you know, just dissect it a bit and, just revel in it because it was it was just bloody brilliant. No, it was it was it was absolutely brilliant. Mm. And of course, we've got the the trip to the Doctor Who experience to look forward to yeah. next week. Exactly. Yeah, handheld. Well, no, this coming week. Yeah, handheld on Wednesday. Well, it, it's Thursday, but we're, we'll be up there on Wednesday night. Yeah, and... I'm arriving on Tuesday. Sue and I and designer Sue are all going down, so we'll be down on the Tuesday night. Workshop Wednesday. 
conference Thursday, Doctor Who Experience Friday morning. Yeah, fantastic. Really looking forward to that. So that's going to be excellent. Yeah, it'll be great. Well, I'll see you then. People can follow you on Twitter at Hicks Design, or they can follow me at Malarkey. All the links we mentioned, if we could find of any links, you know, links to episodes. <laughs> right. Probably yeah. won't be any. Probably deleted be scene. Any. Put that deleted scene. Deleted scene. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You need to put that in. Um, people can find you, you can find those at unfinished.bz slash 46. And to ask questions and suggest topics or tell us what you think about Doctor Who, you can message the show on Twitter at unfinishedbz or you can email me, he has at unfinished.bz. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. Perch and Riot's new Forge static site hosting application. Um, you can support our show by supporting them. Thanks, mate. Hey, thank you. See you next week. <laughs>